This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Good morning to you and welcome into Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio along with Hattiesburg Computer Doctor Jeremy Thompson and Wilkes Couture, IT expert for Rankin County and IT instructor at Holmes Community College. We welcome you in and you can email us everydaytech at mpbonline.org. There's plenty to get into. There's some serious stuff to talk about today. Um, and as always, there's questions about uh, people's motivations and anything that has to do with tech, uh, especially with big corporations. There's lots of money on the line. And so there's lots of people who want a stake in it. And so there are several bills that we want to talk about today that um, that talk about uh, internet safety for children and teens and things like that. And, uh, you know, that's there's a lot of different ways that people want to handle this. We'll talk about several of the different, um, I guess, uh, ideas that people have that they're trying to move forward uh, and how all of them, uh, I think, maybe probably uh, initially <laughs> were, were birthed with the right idea. But as things tend to do when politics get involved, they get gummed up and split up and and splintered and different things like that. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Some questions about, you know, what are the common things that these acts are trying to accomplish? And there's there's five of them that uh, in our our preparation for today's show that that Jeremy's laid out in, in uh, our show notes today. Uh, and I'm sure that there's more that people are talking about that they've been in the past. They're working on things like that. But some of the things we'll ask about, like, what's the common thing that all these different acts are trying to accomplish what happened while all of a sudden are these five of these acts uh, simultaneously competing for the same space? What's the specific motivation? And uh, it in some of these, and I don't want to present it in the wrong way, in some of these, it kind of looks like it's running over the consumer uh, in a race to look like they're first to child safety. And I could see how politicians would want to win that race probably 100 times out of 100. But at the same time, somebody has to look out for the general consumer. And in tech, that doesn't really happen. Not in North America a whole lot. Sure does happen in the EU, like nonstop, but not necessarily here. So with that in mind, let's uh, get into it today. Let's talk to the boys. Wilts, good to see you this morning. What's going on, man? How have things been uh, for you the last week or so? Oh, man, pretty uh, pretty good, pretty steady. Uh, like I kind of think I mentioned before, we're now we're about what two and a half ish or so weeks away from election time. So yeah, we're in, we're in full election swing over here, getting all the equipment ready and tested and making sure you know th- things you sometimes don't think about that are really important to computers, such as things like date and time. You want to make sure the date and time and all this equipment is correct. And uh, it, it's it's amazing the little details you got to focus on sometimes. But yeah, date and time is very important to computers, and we keep getting reminded of that on this end of things. So, so like as a as a career professional, as an accomplished IT guy, uh, an instructor, did you think you knew what you were expecting to walk into? And then you're just like, holy cow, there's so much more. I, I'm, and I'm just just the election side of it, not necessarily the, the working for 
you know, a public entity like a county, like a government office. But just like you just said, all, all the little the, the I's you have to dot, the T's you have to cross in public elections, even at something so uh, niche as the county level. It's still, I'm sure, ridiculously difficult to, to pull off something so sprawling. Oh, yeah. Well, you're dealing with so many different personalities and you're dealing with so many. Um, you know, think about it when, we're, when you're deploying to 50 some odd precincts, you've got, you know, um, you're one person. Or, you know, in our case, we're a team of you know five, our IT department on over here. No matter how you divide that, you can't be in 50 places at once. So you have to really um, it's, a, it's a lot of forethought going into it. It's like, OK, how can I make this as prepared as possible so on the other end, when someone receives it, they have as little headache as possible. And it really, it's, it's no different than what we try to do, you know. Um, you know, for that matter, there's, you know, let's just say 500 people here in the county. I mean, you know, same thing. There's five of us. How do you make those 500 people have a good experience? And, uh, yeah, it's the devil's in the details, basically. Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Um, a place like Mississippi and, and just the, the work that you do, Wilts. We're talking about going from, you know, working for Rankin County, which is, you know, one of the three Jackson Metro counties. It's one of the most or more densely populated areas of the state. But then at the same time, you work for Holmes Community College. Now, you probably do some of your stuff out of the Ridgeland campus, which keeps you in the Jackson Metro area. But the main campus of that community college is in Holmes County. And that's kind of where Jackson Metro area sort of dissolves into the Mississippi Delta and you kind of see um, what a lot of people talk about when you go into like, uh, I don't want to say not food deserts or stuff like that, but you see uh, access to technology, healthcare, things like that. I mean, rapidly vanish. And it's something that we've talked about for a long, long time, but specifically what you're talking about, it's amazing that in places like rural counties and the Delta and they're all over Mississippi and Southwest and Southeast Mississippi and up in the hills and places that are sparsely populated, but yet at the same time have to have this technology that you're talking about. And a lot of times with underfunded and super small IT teams, they're trying to do things like elections. And, you know, let's not even talk about, you know, what IT departments for um, school departments have to do. So it's, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, much respect for the work that you do there. Jeremy, man, what's going on? What's been going on the last week or so with you and uh, the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor? What's been going on? Hey, good morning, Jay. Good morning, Wills. Good morning, everybody. Um, a lot of people are getting hacked, man. Like a lot. Um, and it's getting worse. The, uh, so I was going to say, that's that's a general expectation for me. So is, is, it, is it ticking up for some reason right now? Well, people's accounts are getting compromised and they're getting smarter about how they're going about doing this. So last week I told you all about a client that had received a call from, quote, C Spire. I mean, it said C Spire on his phone. Yeah. He was able to uh, socially engineer him to uh, reset his password. And then basically he lost access to his email and he ended up uh, cutting off his phone number and setting up a, a new email. And so I have uh, come to find that that was not the end of it. Uh, the hacker attempted to switch his number so that he could get the two-factor authentication codes 
so that he could access more of his accounts and actually ended up getting somehow, I still don't know how this worked, but he ended up getting access to his Capital One account. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Oh, and, no, no, uh, no. Logged into it with the app and had managed to order a card and have it sent to Florida. Oh, my gosh. Was canceled before it hit the ground. But look how close it got. That is That is just bizarre, especially because when, when this particular client, who I've worked with for a decade now, when he called me and told me that his account was compromised, I was like, what? You don't even – you don't even do anything online. You're like one of the most secure and like uh, conscious individuals that I know. But somehow uh, they tricked him out of it. And I, I guess it was because they showed up as ceasefire. So he legitimately thought it was them. And it just wasn't. So it's it's really easy to get had these days. But there are some suspicious things that they might do. Um, for example, asking you about your password or telling you what your password is. Yeah. No individual with a company is going to do that because they're not going to have your password. They may have tools that can help you reset your password, but they're yeah. not going to give you your password in plain text. That is a major red flag right there. So, right. Even, a, even, a, I think like even even employees that might have access to see that, like that's not going to be a flex for anybody. No, no, well, we not get at that, all. We get that question a lot. It's like, you know, hey, I forgot my password. Can you tell me what it is? You know, no, we're, we're we administer. You know, I have everyone's account sitting here. We don't know a single solitary person's password with the exception of our own. Um, we can. That's, we can that's a big fallacy. I mean, that's a big misunderstanding. I think a lot of people have is like, oh, well, IT has all your passwords. No, we don't. Let me say, like, I, I, look, the, the the IT guys at MPB are fantastic. Uh, you know, one of our guys. It's it's so funny. Like, there's been several times where he has to reset my computer when we're installing something on or upgrading something, and and so we've got to wait for it to reboot or something like that. And I've got to run back to the studio, and I'm like, here's my password. Just log back in. And he's like, can't do it, dude. Can't do it. Can't do it. Do it. And I'm like, no, seriously, no, for real. I'm, I'm giving you permission. He's like, still can't do it. Ain't gonna happen. So. That's, that is interesting you mentioned that because I think a lot of people would just assume that the IT guys have to have all the keys to all the doors, and that includes everybody's passwords just because somebody's got to have like a master well, key list of all of that. Like, some of them do. Assume that's something that has to happen. Okay, I worked for a company where everybody's password was, you know, uh, part of the IT record, so that we have to do something on their computer. We could do it. So. Some companies that that they may have access to it. They may not now because, again, that was like a decade ago and things have changed a lot since then. But for the most part, we have access. Your, your IT guy, unless you really know him and trust him, like to the point where, you know, he can masquerade as you on your computer and do things. Um, yeah. He should not have your password. Yeah. Not yeah. unless that's like, you know, company wide, which is a huge red flag and a you huge ask for uh, bigger problems down the road. So this, uh, this story continues, however. So he canceled his number, and uh, he uh, disabled his email and all. And then I was asking him, I was like, let's do, let's do an audit of your accounts. And uh, people that are listening, you too can do an audit of your accounts while you're listening, as long as your hands are free and your mind is uh, able to focus 
Like you're not driving or anything. Obviously, I'm not condoning you to do this while you're going down the road. But what you need to do is open your browser and open an incognito window. Usually you can click up at the little three bars in the top corner and it'll say open incognito um, or new private window. One of the two. Um, on Google Chrome, you can hit control shift in and on Firefox. Uh, uh, also on Edge, you can hit control shift in uh, and on Firefox, you can hit control shift P. But what this will do is it will open a private browser that pretends like it, well, it doesn't pretend. It doesn't know you, okay? It doesn't have any cookies. It doesn't have any any username saved. It has nothing. So when you go to log into your account, it will treat you like a complete stranger. So what you can do is if you wanted to, say, do a security audit on your Amazon account, you can open up this private browser. You can go to Amazon.com, and you can log in with your email and password. Now, these days, if you've been hacked, you have to assume that someone has your email and your password so they can get that far the question is what happens after you click log in do you get a prompt to have a code sent to your phone or does it just let you into the account if it lets you into the account you have no extra security on your accounts and you need to set up something like two-factor authentication you absolutely need to so my client uh, after logging into his or after uh, logging into his Amazon account, um, it said that it was sending a code to his phone number. And I was like, well, there you go. You're secure. And he's like, no, that's not good because that's my old phone number. So mm -hmm. before you go canceling all your numbers, you need to try to migrate your accounts. If you're locked out of your email, but you have access to your phone, then you can call Amazon and they can help you get back into your Amazon account if you've been locked out of it. But if you don't have access to the phone number or the email, I do not believe they will help you because my client went through this yesterday for a couple of hours. And the end result was we can do nothing for you, sir, because we can't verify that you're you. Now, this is a gap in uh, security and authentication for Amazon because they need to have a way that people can verify after they've been locked out of both of those things. Because nobody's thinking about their Amazon account when they're trying to change their phone number and get their life back in order. But once everything settles down and they go to try to log in, they may not be able to get in. This is not specific to your Amazon account either. This could be any account. So you want to make sure if you do get a code sent to your phone that you always change those things before it's too late. Mm. Man, there's a that's a whole lot to that right there. Wilts, talk to me about two factor all uh two two factor authentication. I always mess that phrase up. I blow it to smithereens every time I try to say it on this show. Funny, I host a tech show. But talk to me about how does somebody just say, hey, okay, this is something that I obviously knew. I need to set up another layer of protection. Uh, how how do you start doing something like that? Well, pretty much all of your accounts will allow it. And by the way, the way I get around, I can't ever say that big old long word that quickly either. I just call it MFA. There you go. Authentication. So. Well, so you no just said authentication. No that's the word I always, I always butcher that one. I'm like multi-factor authentication. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I stick, stick with acronyms. I mean, it's like, you know, hey, that's, I speak acronym. That's what working in IT and being a vet does for you. There you go. But, um. No, I mean, everything is setting up for that. But I will kind of caution you now, though, uh, taking kind of what, what Jeremy's saying just a step further. 
um, had this happen with the gentleman that I used to work with and he got SIM hijacked. So just setting up for the code, um, what someone actually did is they basically hijacked the SIM of his card and I'm not really, I didn't ever really dig into how that would have happened, but uh, essentially his phone was no longer active um, and the hacker's phone was pretending to be him. So these folks went into his bank accounts. This was, this was definitely targeted, went into his bank accounts and had the code sent to them. But since his phone was inactive, the codes were actually sent to the bad guys. So uh, I would tell you, especially when it comes to your finances, take it just one step further and go. Um, there are plenty of authenticator apps that you can run as well. Microsoft makes one, Microsoft Authenticator. you got Google Authenticator. Um, just, you know, in case you were to lose your phone so you don't lose access to some of that stuff, these things can, can help lock it further. Uh, down the road, actually, from what we're hearing toward the end of this year, Microsoft will no longer send the, uh, the SMS MFA codes, SMS being the, the text messages. They're going to force you into an Authenticator app. They won't do it anymore because they're seeing so many more hijacks of, of these. But... Yeah, I mean, as you can see by the, you know, the bad guys basically going after this this dual layer authentication. Now, if you're not at least at that level, you're way behind the curveball. I mean, I've got my email set up on. I got five, you know, just trying to get into my Google Drive. You're gonna have to go through MFA. I don't want anybody touching any of my stuff that I can prevent. Um, and I mean, I would, you know, I think we've said this for years. If it has to do with your money and you're not doing that, or if it has to do with your money and the financial institution you're working with is not capable of doing that, uh, find another one because in this day and age, you really can't live without that MFA. And also uh, about the code generating apps, that was that was kind of the point I was driving to because if they had succeeded in getting his phone number, then that layer of protection wouldn't have been enough. And they already compromised his account. Now, luckily, it was just his Amazon account and all of his cards are canceled and they can't do anything with it. But that was this time, and that's not going to be the case for everybody because somebody is going to uh, lose money because a lot of people still buy stuff online with their debit cards. I even asked my client, do you buy stuff online with your debit card? Is your debit card on there? He's like, yeah, all the time. And I'm like, don't do that. If your account gets compromised, if your debit card number gets compromised and somebody starts making charges on your account, it's a lot more difficult to get that taken care of than it is for a credit card. But the authentication apps will keep the codes safe to your device or devices. And I recommend devices. Um, but what happens is you, uh, when you set it up, it gives you an initial, let's just call it a, an initial code. You take that code and um, you can either copy it into the app or a lot of times they have a QR code that you can actually take a picture of. And then it will generate the first code for you. You have to verify that that code is active on your phone and that it's generating the numbers. So you put the numbers that pop up on your phone from that code into your browser and then you're verified. From there, you can either check a little box that says, remember me every time, which you know, if we're being real here, that's also kind of risky because it stores a file, a cookie on your computer that can be stolen and can be. I, used say, to I mean, aren't you just undoing what you just did if if you just ask it to automate that? I well, so if I use my computer at home, <laughs> you know, I might I might tell it, hey, it's OK, but I wouldn't want 
I, I don't do that in most cases. Like, if but it's, what if, if, what if you really... use a browser that you sync, you know, across like work and stuff like that? Or let me ask never you sync you your guys... browser. Uh, I, was, not, I was just about to ask you. I about do that. not sync browsers. Oh. I mean, I don't save passwords on my computer anymore. I know it's more difficult, but it is up to us to do our due diligence on our security. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you are keeping up with your passwords and not storing them. Because the other thing is, you know, a lot of people are getting invoices in the mail now and it'll say, you know, hey, you're being charged for this. Call this number to dispute this charge. Well, they know the charge is fake. They're trying to dump you into a tech support scam or some other kind of scam where they're going to, quote, credit the money back to you and they're going to ransack your computer. So if you've got card numbers stored on there, if you've got credentials stored on there, they're likely going to take all that stuff and try to get into all of your accounts. And let me say something. I mean, if a Mississippi number is being targeted by folks who are impersonating C Spire, which is a Mississippi company. Now, look, C Spire has, you know, they've made a a lot of headway for themselves in the industry, but that's a Mississippi company. There's a whole lot of places you you could start on the telecommunications ladder. That's not Mississippi. But folks trying to compromise folks, uh, people's telephone numbers in Mississippi posing as C Spire. That's like, man, there ain't nowhere to hide if you're in Mississippi and trying to get hacked. As told, a company posing as as people posing as a company from Mississippi, man, there ain't. I mean, look, I shouldn't be surprised because five years ago we were talking about ransomware with Yazoo County School District, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, holy cow, of all the places in the world where you would start, I mean, that the Mississippi Delta might be the last place you want to hold people up for money, but hey, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. Well, like Wilt said before, um, when he said quote, this was a targeted attack. What we mean by that is that someone has decided that you specifically are the one that they want. And so they will try a number of social engineering methods, emailing you, calling you, spoofing numbers, trying to get your attention. Well, see, that's another thing. I wanted to ask both you guys about this. We got to get to a break soon because and there was a topic that I brought up at the beginning of the show. We haven't even got there yet. Obviously, this is something everybody in the show is passionate about because we opened up the mics and we've talked about it for about 30 solid minutes. But mm-hmm. um, in, in a situation like this, if, if, I mean, obviously, you just mentioned it. If, if, if somebody is coming after my telephone number, posing as a company from Mississippi, the first thing I have to think to myself is, well, look, somebody has already put work into this. Somebody is already like labor invested in hacking me. So like, like, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you like they, I have to assume that from a technology standpoint, this is like the one versus 16 matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I'm the teeny tiny school and they're like Duke or UCLA, whoever, and I'm about to get pounded. So like, I'm like, do I call the police? Do I call the authorities? How do I protect myself? When something like that happens and you feel like somebody may have started to get on the inside and have some access to your information, like what, what do you, when do you like call off the dog, so to speak, and, and just go into full protect mode? Well, I 
as far as law enforcement and stuff goes, I, I have no idea. I don't I don't know if they would help you with something like that if you don't have a lot of evidence that something is occurring. I, I don't really know, but I can tell you that well, see, that's that's a great but that's a great answer though, because I mean, I'm sure somebody's asked you that question before. So it's like, well, you know, if you don't really have anything to go on, that's a that's a great point though. To I mean, that's not the time to take that to them. So I mean, I don't know. Well, you can't bring up a case against a, a, a face with a question mark on it. Right. You know, you got to know who it is that's that's coming after you. So if you don't have any evidence of such, I don't know that law enforcement would be very helpful to you, nor would they want to help you. Now, as far as protecting yourself goes, I mean, we're we're saying it right here, you know, with the code generators on your phone, that's that's a lot safer than having a code sent to your phone number, because if they are targeting you, they probably already know your phone number and it would be in their best interest to change their number to your phone number so they could get all your codes and stuff. But if the codes don't come to the phone number, then that's much better protected. All right. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about today is some Internet uh, Child Safety Privacy Acts. There's a bunch of these that are simultaneously uh, being pushed forward right now. I'll just throw out some names of them. The Kids Online Safety Act, the Stop CSAM Act, the Earn It Act, the Restrict Act, for the naming, well, there's a lot of marketing agencies that made some money here, uh, and the Cooper Davis Act, no marketing agency there. There's several of these different acts that are that are coming along and Several of them kind of approach it in different ways, and it's all about, as the first one says here, kids online safety. Um, some of them kind of run over the consumer a little bit. Um, we could talk about that and much more. We could take your calls as well. If you've called in, in the last couple of weeks and you asked about something and uh, we gave you some advice, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, you've been trying that out, let us know. Update us. If it didn't work, let's take another crack at it or let's try something different. Or if it fixed it, let us know your success story. So um, what we were talking about from the very get-go today, uh, a handful of different um, acts that are, that are coming through um, the governmental chambers, talking about ways that we can keep kids safe online. Let me set up Jeremy right here to kind of talk to me about um, uh, uh, his point in bringing all of these different acts together. Again, there's several of them, and that they are – uh, the Kids Online Safety Act, the Earn It Act, the Restrict Act, they have several different names and uh, several different things. Uh, one, for example, before I hand it over here to Jeremy, the Kids Online Safety Act uh, says, according to a fact sheet, uh, the bill beefs up kids and parental controls. It requires that platforms provide minors with options to protect their information, disable addictive product features. Mm. Who determines that? And opt out of algorithmic recommendations. So see you, Google. The bill also gives parents and children a dedicated channel to report harm to kids on the platform. That's pretty interesting. Uh, and that's just one of these five different things that we've got listed here. The Kids Online Safety Act, increasing surveillance uh, and restricting access to information. That's one way you can do it. Mm, restricting access to information. Not everybody's excited about that set of words in that order. Jeremy, tell me about... What uh, how this got onto your radar and, and, and why today you wanted to bring this to the forefront? Well, you know, um, I'm a big proponent of security and privacy and uh, freedom online. And I feel like these bills are definitely not 
leaning in that direction and uh they eat heavily of censorship um i got an email from the eff which is the electronic frontier foundation these are the guys that are typically looking out for free speech online and prohibitive bills uh, that limit our ability to enjoy a free and open internet well you know what I like to consider this is a smokescreen because they use the safety of children to um, blame a lot of online activity. And they claim that this bill is going to, quote, prevent and mitigate a list of societal ills like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance use disorders, physical violence, online bullying and harassment, sexual exploitation and abuse, and suicidal behaviors. It also says that platforms will be responsible for patterns of use that indicate or encourage addiction-like behaviors. So that huge list of stuff is being used to allow much more invasive practices on, but not limited to, social media. And it opens the floodgates for more monitoring than already occurs right now. Um, There's just, there's a lot of muddy language in it, and they talk about how, you know, this is, this is to, uh, to fix a big problem that we're having here. But the bill doesn't really state how clearly that problem should be fixed through these platforms and how this is, how this is actually going to work. Uh, so they haven't provided a lot of resources for that. They're just kind of throwing it out there like, well, this is what we're going to do. And that's how it is. So it's just not going to do what they claim it's going to do. Uh, it's it's always about oh we want to help the people okay um what does that have to do with monitoring online conversations now uh, you know for minors and all that okay there are already uh limitations in place for minors to even have access to websites online uh to social media platforms as well so let, let me ask you, let me guy, ask you both these guys this. So from the 30,000 foot view. So we're talking about first thing I'm thinking of is, all right, so what we're trying to do is find a way that functioning online can happen for uh, uh, anonymously for consumers and safely for minors at the same time. Can those can we expect those things to be able to exist in the same place? I think we can. I think what it comes down to is the same thing we we see a lot. People people seem to want to have technology try to make technology take the place of, for lack of a better term, supervision. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't need responsibility to take the place of me, for example, as a parent with my child when it comes to their online activities. It's very easy to say, oh, I'm gonna put a program in place and let some automated system be the parent for me. Just simply, you know, it simply comes down to, eh, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to have to manage this particular problem. So let me let, let me go ahead and offload this off to somebody else. That's that's where I see this whole thing kind of going. We we see this a lot on the professional side too. It's like, well, you know, we have we think so and so is spending too much time on the internet uh, goofing off while they're at work. Uh, so we need y'all to put in X Y Z tool. It's like, really, do you really need X Y Z tool, or do you just need to manage the person? Because, you know. Uh, all you're really doing is you're shift. You're trying to shift the blame, in my opinion, um, elsewhere to someone else to to do your quote unquote dirty work. I mean, you know, my kids knew at any given time, me or my wife would look at their phone. Do we have concerns at certain times? Maybe. Was that a you know were we sitting here you know grabbing it every night and saying oh what can we catch you on this time? No. But you know we also had a lot of and this. This is kind of a soapbox thing for me too, and it's it's. Shoot, get involved. You really want to make sure your kids aren't doing these bad things online or who they're talking to or what they're doing. Get involved. Don't, well, don't rely thing. on an AI or a tool or a law or a rule or someone, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, here, yeah, do that. No, get, do it so, yourself. Yeah, so so some of the other ones. So, Jeremy, the STOP CSAM, and that's a, a, an acronym, C-S-A-M, and honestly, I think this one's worse. Okay, I'm just going to yeah, go ahead I mean, and I'm step just, out there I'm and reading, say it. I'm reading the summary of the one line summary of it that you wrote. I'm like, oh no, well that's off the table right off the bat, right? Yes, uh, because the Stop CSAM Act wants to uh, prevent encryption, which is basically what's keeping us all uh, secure and keeping our information protected. Say, that's like a safety cornerstone, isn't it? Yes. And the language is very um, broad, and it's too broad for what they're trying to do. So, sort of in the same vein, here's another yes. one, the Restrict Act. So, tell me about the Restrict Act, because it does something that I think <laughs> I've heard people make many jokes about how Mississippi may have a spike in VPN use. Uh, as of July 1st, but uh, tell me about the Restrict Act, Jeremy. Uh, the Restrict Act would uh, limit the use of TikTok, but would also criminalize common practices like using a VPN or, and this is completely unrelated, sideloading to install a prohibited app. It was like Apple was like, hey, just throw on a thing about sideloading in there. Uh, sideloading is when you put an app on your device that's not supposed to be allowed on it. Like you hook it up to a computer and copy the file over to it. Mm. What, what does that have to do with restricting access to mm. TikTok or using VPNs? And again, the VPN thing is huge. There are a lot of reasons that you might use a VPN. And one of the main ones that people use it for, at least I believe, is anonymity so that your internet service providers cannot track what you're doing online, nor yeah. can anyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, let's here, here is here is one example of a wink and a nod use of a VPN. So let's say you live in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. If you're a huge uh, Atlanta Braves fan, 
But you love Major League Baseball. You bought the MLB.tv package. But because you live in the Atlanta Braves television market, all of your Atlanta Braves games on MLB.tv are going to be blacked out because the purpose of this is so that you will go to the TV station that the game actually airs on over the air and watch it there so they can get the credit and the ratings and the things like that and uh, help their ad revenue in, in that direction. And, and that's all understandable and everything like that. But um, um, a VPN can tell the computer that you're on that's running the MLB.tv app, so to speak, that you're in England and not – well, let's say you're in Birmingham, England and not Birmingham, Alabama. And if you're in England, it's like, oh, well, you're you're totally cool to watch a Braves game. So you can be in a restricted area from watching Braves games on your computer and watch a Braves game on your computer because of a VPN. That's that's one thing that and, and some of this legislation, I guarantee you, is because a billion billions of dollars are are lost in, in sports and streaming revenue because of VPNs and stuff like that. So that, that I'm, I guarantee you that's part of the restrict it's not to restrict people from access to minors on the internet it's to restrict people from getting things that they haven't paid for on the internet so anyway it's so just then, like when a lot of us were kids if we were wanting to get a if you if you were a determined child wanting to get a hold of insert item here you're gonna find your way to it all right the the earn it act so uh tell me about the earn it act <laughs> Uh, that would mandate the scanning of messages and other files on your uh, devices. Mandate? Yes. And they said that uh, this was something that Apple walked away from last year, so now they're trying to just make it industry-wide. The TikTok thing doesn't necessarily surprise me because a lot of states are – a lot of states have already restricted – their state employees like Mississippi, for example. And look, when, when, and I've said this on this show before, um, the, the people who have made the biggest noise uh, about, you know, warning about Tencent and their involvement with the Chinese government, you know, I mean, not necessarily the people that I always politically associate with, but a hundred percent, when you see the, how vague both of those entities are when directly asked about their involvement with each other. Yeah, that's that's super curious and super suspicious. So, and, uh, you know, I, I in this in, in this situation, I, I, I don't like I, I totally understand why government entities are protecting themselves and their information from things that that they can't. Necessary that, that they can't understand the, the purpose of nor get an honest explanation as to the explanation of, I guess. Earn it basically allows access to any message, photo, or hosted file online in the name of fighting crime. But it's treating all internet users like criminals and they're going through your files and your information, whether you're suspected of a crime or not. Uh, it, it, it just it just seems wrong. It is wrong. There's no scenes yeah. to it. It is wrong. The and interesting thing is with all these is I, I just I don't know. There is a place to take a step in the middle of this without overstepping or understepping 
but that's a it's a razor thin line and i i where that step needs to be taken i don't i don't know that it is necessarily in the best interests of any of the groups to not go all one way or the other. And so that's this is where we are with the way things work politically in the world today. If everybody doesn't get exactly what they want, you know, and take their ball and go home. So we'll see. And this this is another bill that goes after end-to-end encryption. So it's putting pressure on internet companies to put an end to that. All right, we're about to take uh, a call from Andy here. But Jeremy, how – Will, you too, how, how, can, how can anybody even suggest – to bypass encryption like that well uh, you it's know like honestly out, it's like outlawing it's, it's, it's like trying to it seems to me like that's banning people from having like locks on their doors on their well, house rather than sit here and speculate why somebody would want to do that why don't we just talk about what we can do about it so you know I, I i like to come on the radio and and present these things to the public to let you know what is happening behind the scenes because if you're not paying attention and you don't call your congressman your representatives and let them know that you oppose these things they will go and vote yes because all they're doing is uh, well we i just did it for the children that's not what this is about that is a smoke screen and in many instances, people are, I mean, I mean, you are the difference. If you want to make a, you know, make a call and make some noise about this, that's what they're waiting for. So please absolutely do that. Uh, Jeremy's provided me a, a, a bunch of great information, and uh, I'll forward this along to Abram. He's our digital editor. And uh, on the information page for this show on the podcast, wherever you download your podcast, it's all over the major available places uh that information will have links to all this stuff so you can read up on it and learn and know about it and and try to figure out how you want to approach this going forward especially i mean number one if you're an adult that's been attacked online like we talked about the first half of the show or if you have teenagers like i i have four teenagers or three and a preteen and so this is um the preteen is the most dangerous one on the internet for me so that's um you know this is this is stuff that hits Really, really close to home. All right, let's get to the phones. We've got Annie on the phone. Annie, I, I, I apologize. Uh, Abram told me 15 minutes ago you were holding to get on the air, and I, we got talking about this, and I totally forgot because I'm not good at remotely hosting, so I apologize. And thanks for calling. What's going on? Oh, yes. Um, I want to know if there's a class that I could take to help me be aware of these safety steps. Uh, I hadn't used the computer since my husband passed because he fits the description of the person that you described earlier. So mm-hmm. I hadn't used the computer because I don't know how secure it is. Well, in general, as far as security goes, if you are uh, putting your information online, you uh, you must make sure that you are doing this with legitimate sources and also with websites that offer encryption themselves. And one of the ways that you can uh, see this is that in your web browser, there will be a little lock up there by the web address, and it will tell you if the site is encrypted or not. Now, because you don't use the internet a lot, if you're just browsing to websites, you're not logging into a lot of stuff, you're not putting your information in, and you're not buying stuff online, you really don't have too much to worry about. 
so the computer, like the person did get into the computer, they cleaned out the bank account and got his credit card. So that's a computer that I do not use, but I do want to use the computer. I do most of my uh, activities from my cell phone. Okay, so um, if if you want to be safe using your device, um, I recommend not saving any passwords in your device uh, and make sure that you change them routinely. And then um, if you have a smartphone, then you can set up the multi-factor authentication with any accounts that you do log into so that you can get a code from your phone rather than have one sent to you so you know that the code is always legitimate. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate the call and, and um, let us know how that goes. Get back in touch with us soon. All right. It's, okay, it's a big, it, it's a big topic. It, it's, it's a lot to cover because there, there is no class for this. Um, you know, I just take people one-on-one and I'm like, look, this is what you need to do with your stuff. And this is, this is how it works now. And this is the best way to protect your information. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. I, you know, if, so for, for folks who may have jumped in in the middle of your explanation there, uh, for somebody who is worried about somebody's access to their computing, but they just, let's say they're not running a business necessarily, or maybe not even doing bills or stuff uh, through that. Maybe they're, you know, you're just a person who's checking some emails and maybe doing like a Facebook account or something well, like that. How, uh, how, how deep do you need to dive? To protect social media stuff? is pretty heavily targeted. Because they can message your friends and ask for money, and they can put things up for sale in the marketplace that are fraudulent, and they can make you look like a really bad person. Yeah. So yeah. you need to protect those accounts as well. And again, Facebook definitely supports multi-factor authentication. They used to have this – I think they still have it. It's called the code generator. But the only mm-hmm. way to get a code generated is to be logged into your Facebook and let Facebook generate a code for you. But the question is, why would I need a code generated if I'm logged into my Facebook? doesn't really make sense. But you can set up the uh, authentication apps with your Facebook account so that the code gets generated on your phone. And then when you go to log into it, if you have any question about what the security is like on your devices, you can open up an incognito or a private browser window. Again, on Google Chrome and Edge, that's Control-Shift-N. And on Firefox, that's Control-Shift-P. And you can go and log into your Facebook account or whatever account you want to check. And if you are not prompted for a code or some other method to verify your account, then it is a sitting duck. And it is just a matter of time. Mm. And um, for so if you if you have different social media accounts, like, for example, if I'm talking about Instagram and threads, if you've got one of those protected, does that for the most part, does that have you protected on everything that's coming from like from the people who make all of those, for example, well, as opposed uh, to like Twitter, which is somebody else over here? I don't know specifically because I've spent about five minutes with threads, but since it's linked to your Instagram, <laughs> I believe that is the case. Yes. You were the first person you mentioned this last week. You're the first person who sent me a message on threads. I think there maybe may have maybe been a couple more since then. But uh, I actually I, I posted my first thread, which is some of my favorite drummers and their 
best songs. I don't, I, I, oh, cool. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I will I go I check out your for, first thread. There you go. It was something out of the ordinary that I was just trying to think of. That, and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty decent. And I liked how you can uh, start a topic and then kind of leave the thread open and come back to it. I do like that and how you can kind of set access to it. So if you want to leave it open, then people can come in there and add to your list and make it an actual thread. I like that. It's actually what it says. That's pretty cool. Hey, thanks so much for listening today, everybody. Will, Jeremy, thank you so much for your input today. This is a really interesting topic that there are many, many more shows that we're going to talk about all of this. Uh, and again, a lot of the links and the information that we talked about today, we're going to have on the show page uh, that will be at mpbonline.org and wherever you download Everyday Tech. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy Stewart. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 for Everyday Tech right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.